Well, good morning. We can add our amens to that song. So as typical, um, when any time you're, you're given a task to speak or there's a conference or a camp or something coming up, uh, it seems like the, uh, the secular life just gets overwhelmingly busy, and uh, we were busy at work this week um, with uh, various protests. I think last time I spoke, <clears throat> it was after the, uh, the votes had been counted, and now this is uh, after the inauguration. So um, just a reminder that uh, the, it's the Lord who puts and raises rulers and kings, and it's our responsibility to, uh, to pray for them um, and to, to uh, live under their authority and, and to obey the laws um, of the land. Um, if you can open your Bibles to Mark chapter 3, uh, last time we, I spoke, we began a journey looking at uh, the life of uh, our Savior uh, through the eyes of Mark. And uh, Rick spoke right after, and he took us through chapter 2. And as the Lord leads, uh, we'll perhaps leapfrog our way through Mark. Um, and uh, if you remember, uh, the, the question that we were asking in chapter 1 was, is he qualified? Um, the various Gospels shed different lights on the Savior. Um, we see um, some through the eyes of a king, um, others through the eyes of a man. Um, and Mark here uh, takes us through the eyes of a servant. And it, it, what you'll see that it is missing in chapter 1, as we talked about several uh, months ago, was what's missing from chapter 1 is a genealogy. If you look in Mark and, and, or Matthew and Luke, we have this uh, long genealogy of, of where he came from. Uh, but we don't have that in Mark. And why is that? Well, Mark was written, uh, again, through the eyes of a servant, but it was also written to Gentiles. Um, and uh, Gentiles really don't care uh, about the genealogy as much as the Jews would. Um, and so uh, what the Gentiles care about and what everybody cares about in a good servant or a good worker is, is he qualified? And that's the, the thesis that we've kind of put over Mark uh, as we go forward. Is he qualified? And as we ended chapter 1 and, and ended chapter 2, um, we can add our amens to say that he is more than qualified. Um, to be that perfect servant. So uh, Mark chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, it says, <clears throat> And he entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, Step forward. Then he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? to save a life or to kill. But they kept silent, and when he had looked around at them with anger and being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. Let's look to the Lord one more time. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for the privilege we've had to come to remember that perfect servant, um, that one that was um, willing and obedient and perfectly did your will. Um, Father, we just pray that as we open your word this morning that we would walk away um, and as um, the servants in the Bible said, we would, have, 
we would see no one save Jesus only. Um, and that is our, our desire this morning, that we would um, study that perfect servant, and as a result, that um, we would live and act and talk like him. Um, we pray for your help this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, we ended chapter 2 with this, uh, an incident that took place in a field of the disciples walking through and, and plucking grains uh, from, from the field to eat, and they were mushing them in their hands and, and, and snacking on them as they went through. And, and the Pharisees pointed the finger and said, you guys are harvesting on the Sabbath, this is not lawful. And they were uh, looking to accuse uh, the disciples and, in effect, accuse the Lord um, for, for, this, for this act. And the Lord uh, sets them straight. Um, he shows them and gives them a picture of David uh, in the temple and how he, uh, when he was in need, ate the bread that he was not allowed to eat. And then at the very end of, ch of chapter 2 and verse 27, he has a very interesting uh, statement. He says, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also the Lord of the Sabbath. Um, so this, this incident continues, and they, it's almost as if they follow him into the synagogue. And it, in this particular account, we don't get too much light, but as, as you look at it compared to Matthew and in Luke, um, you, you almost get the idea that the, the Pharisees had set him up. Uh, they, they had him going into the, the synagogue, and they brought in this man that had a withered hand. And they knew, they knew that he was going to heal this man. Um, in one sense, this is a compliment. They knew that he had the power to heal him. They knew that he would heal him, um, but we know that their intent was to, to trip him up and to accuse him. And so what we have here is he's entering into the synagogue in Matthew. It, it tells us that he was teaching, and it says there was, there was a man who had a withered hand. Um, in, in Matthew, it says they brought him in. And in Matthew, it says that they asked the question, but in here, in, in, in Mark, we said, it says that, so they watched him closely whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. Now, this man with a withered hand, and, and I am definitely not, I'm the farthest thing you could get from a, a Greek anything scholar. Um, but as you look at the Greek and, and through Bible study helps, um, this, this withered hand um, in the original says that it was either by a, a disease or an accident. Um, so this, this is something that came upon this man, and it caused his hand to wither. Um, and so as they look at him, they're, they're watching him closely. They, this man steps forward, and, and in Matthew, they, they even pose the question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Um, and this man, he, he, uh, Jesus asked this man to step forward. He brings him in the midst. Now, there's a, a million ways this thing could have turned out. Jesus could have walked out. He could have called the man outside, as he does in other uh, healing miracles. But here, he's, he brings him to the center of the room, all eyes on him and all eyes on this man, and to see if he was going to heal him or not. In, 19, in the early 1900s, there was a man uh, that was born, and this man was born with a, a tremendous ability uh, to run. And at a young age, at the age of 15, this man uh, accepted the Lord as his personal savior. And with this, and, and at this young age, he purposed in his heart that he was going to honor the Lord with his life.
but he also had this love and this passion for running. Um, and this, this passion grew and this, this, this skill grew until in 1924 he qualified for the Olympic Games um, in the 100 meter race. As the qualifying heats were over and as the final heat was going to be announced, he, uh, his partner, his running partner, told him that it was going to be on a Sunday. Um, and his heart sank. Um, he was devastated because at a young age he had purposed in his heart that he was not going to um, dishonor the Lord's day. Uh, back then, um, the, the, uh, everything was closed on Sundays. Um, everybody went to church on Sundays. And before the Lord, he wasn't going to, uh, to run and to compete on, on the Lord's day. Um, this was a, a tremendous letdown to the entire country. Uh, they called him a traitor. Um, they ran his name through the mud. Um, his teammates were upset with him because this man was anticipated to be the fastest man in the world. Well, he, as he looked at the, uh, the brochure, he saw that there was another race that was not run on Sunday, and this was the 400-meter race. Um, something that he had not trained for and something that was marked as the top event in the Olympics. And he asked and um, he was granted the opportunity to run and to compete in this race. As he uh, stepped out, um, the, the, uh, the team um, therapist or, or, or physician uh, handed him a little note that said, uh, uh, those who honor me, um, I will honor. Um, taken from Samuel. And uh, this man competed in this race. And uh, what's interesting about this man is he had a very interesting running style, something that was unconventional. Um, and in all aspects of sports, he shouldn't have been that fast. Um, but he ran that race and he won. And many of you know who this is. This is uh, Eric Liddell. And they uh, even filmed the movie uh, and recorded this incident in the movies in the chariots of fire. The reason why we bring this up is that this, in, in this story, in this account of this miracle, the Pharisees and the world were watching the Savior. They watched him closely as to what he would do. Um, this was the same with Eric. Um, the world watched him closely, and no matter what the world thought, he was going to do the right thing. Um, and he honored the Lord in doing so. Here, they watched him closely so that they might accuse him. Um, and, and Jesus, knowing that they were going to accuse him, knowing that they were going to point the finger, in fact, knowing the outcome of this specific miracle, he, he went forward and he did the right thing. Um, Eric's life went farther. Uh, the, the, the story of chariots of fire ends at, at, at the race, but Eric goes on to become a missionary um, in China. And uh, when uh, the Japanese had taken over uh, Japan, uh, he continued, and, and, and Eric was taken captive and, and put into a concentration camp. Um, and even in this concentration camp, he lived a godly life. Um, there's testimonies given by those that were in the concentration camp with Eric saying that he carried coal for weaker um, workers within the camp. Um, he gave the clothes off his back and the beds off his, uh, the sheets off his bed um, to help others. And one even testified and said, Eric was the most Christ-like man I knew. Um, the world was watching him closely to see what he would do. Um, they knew he was a Christian, and they watched him closely. Um, and lastly, 
when a Japanese guard noticed that Eric wasn't at the morning roll call, um, he asked where he was and they told him that he had died that morning. Um, and this Japanese uh, soldier looked and asked, said, Liddell was a Christian, wasn't he? He knew, and he had never spoken to Eric. Um, he knew by his actions, by his life, by watching him closely, that he was a Christian. And here we see the Savior, and they're watching him closely. And um, how, what is that, how does that apply to us? Well, the world watches us closely. They watch every move that we make. Um, they see everything we do. Um, even today, giving this message 10 years ago wouldn't have had this effect, but now with social media, with the internet, um, people are, have uh, almost like a microscope on our lives. Um, and the world sees it, not just our inner circle of friends and the people we're connected to. The world sees how we act, how we talk, what we like, um, the things we look at. Um, and they're watching us closely, that they might accuse us. Um, and so this is, a, this is a reminder to us to, to keep that in mind, to, to have that on the forefront of our minds when we go onto Facebook, when we go into the workplace and, and have those talks at the water cooler or at the restaurant. Um, they're watching us very closely that they might accuse us. So Jesus asked this man to step forward. He steps into the center, and Jesus asked the questions to the Pharisees. He says, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? Um, in Matthew, he gets, he gets a little bit deeper into this question. He says, if one of you had some of your livestock fall into a ditch, wouldn't you go save it? But you're not going But you, you are trying to accuse me of, of healing this man. Um, he, the, thing, the thing about this question in Mark is very interesting. He asked them, is it, is it lawful to do good or to do evil? What Jesus was about to do was good. He was going to heal this man of a disease or an infirmity that he had. But what they were about to do and commit in their hearts and in their minds and what they were going to do in the future was evil, was wicked. And he asked, is it, is it, is it good to save a life the things that he did, or to kill the things that they did. Um, and it's a reminder, in, in Luke, he says he looks into their hearts, and the searcher of hearts sees the intent of our hearts. He sees what's our intended purpose when we, when we act, when we do things, when we say things. What's the intent of our hearts? And it says they kept silent. Um, they had already learned not to, to answer Jesus, not to go back and forth with him, because um, they didn't have the answers. They kept silent. And in Mark, we have this insight that the other Gospels don't give us. It says, when he looked around at them with anger, he was angry. Um, this, the Greek word for this is, is a momentary act of, or a momentary emotion of anger. Um, he was angry at them for this, this sin that was in their lives. And it says, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts. That word is a continuous uh, it's in the continuous tense, meaning that he was always grieved at the hardness of their hearts. Um, the man of sorrows being grieved um, and, and weeping over these, these people. And he says to the man, stretch out your hand, and he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Um, in the Pharisees' minds, Jesus took the bait. We got him. He did it. Um, he healed somebody. He did, he did it on the Sabbath. 
He's working, he's laboring on the Sabbath. And then from that point on, the Pharisees, they go, on, they go out and immediately plot how they're going to kill or destroy Jesus. And the, the one thought that I thought was interesting about this is this man stretches out his withered, diseased, broken hand. And as soon as he stretched it out, it's made well. Well, then Jesus would later stretch out his hand, a perfect hand, and they would be nailed to a cross and forever, forever would bear the marks of that day. Um, it's almost as if he's taking this man's place. Um, this man stretched out his broken hand and Jesus takes it and forever will bear those marks of Calvary on his hand. Um, now the, the, the Pharisees have gone out. They've, they're, now they're going to plot on how to, to destroy Jesus. And here we have a, a, a change. In, in verse 7 it says, But Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him. The, the sea in the Bible is a picture to us of the Gentiles. Um, and it's, it's, it's a picture to other things too, the world and things. But um, it's almost as if Jesus has left and, and, and stopped preaching because they have, they have made their decision in their heart. Um, they have chosen, these Pharisees and these, these uh, religious leaders have chosen uh, to go against him, to, to, to plot to kill him. And it's almost as if Jesus turns and he goes to the Gentiles. And a great multitude from Galilee followed him. Um, and from Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and beyond the Jordan and those from Tyre and Sidon and a great multitude when they heard how many things he was doing came to him. One thing that's interesting, we have a, a very interesting list of people here in, in, uh, in this next portion. Uh, this, it's kind of like a mixed multitude here. Uh, we have in, in uh, verse 7, we have the, the, the group from Galilee, these barbarous Galileans uh, with their funny accents. You remember that when uh, uh, Peter is being accused of, of following the, the Lord, they said, you even talk like you're from there. Uh, you, you have that, that accent. Um, we have the Judeans, those from the, south, the, the favored south. We have the proud and privileged citizens of Jerusalem, uh, these, these men and women that would come. And then we have this uh, Edomia, or the, the, the Edomite, Edomites, the sons of Edom. And they, uh, these, this group of people, as we've, uh, we've actually been studying this on uh, Monday night in, in, our, in our Bible study, but th these group of people were the sons of Esau. And in Psalms, it says that the name, the mention of these name, the name of the, the children of Edom um, froze the blood of the Jew. Uh, they were scared um, and they, they hated these people. Uh, they came um, from beyond the Jordan, these, the, the outskirts of Jordan, um, the shrewd merchants of Tyre, um, those that would dwell in the sea, and then the men of Sidon. And in, Eze in uh, Ezekiel, it says that these men were like prick prickling briars and grieving thorns against the house of Israel. So we have this mixed multitude coming. All from all walks of life are coming, and they're hearing, and they know that this man, there's something about this man. Um, he's healing people. He's saving people. And they came to him. And so he told his disciples to get... Uh, that a small boat should be kept ready for him because of the multitude, lest they should crush him. For he healed many, so that as many as had afflictions pressed about him to touch him. Um, 
the, the group was so large. And, and again, this group was so from all walks of life that they pressed on him, that, they, that it was almost to the point where he was going to be crushed. So the disciples had to get him onto a boat to get him out into sea so that he could continue speaking uh, to this group. Um, and in verse 11, it says, And the unclean spirits, whenever they saw him, fell down before him and cried out, saying, You are the Son of God. But he sternly warned them that they should not make him known. As you remember in chapter 1, we had uh, several healings of, of the demon-possessed. And what we, what we re- realized in chapter 1 was that these demons knew who he was. Um, even though he was not in the same image as what they, when they had saw him originally. Um, these were the fallen angels of, of, uh, that followed Satan, the third that were uh, cast out of heaven, and they came down. And what I was thinking about this week and kind of dwelling on was, I wonder when the last time they saw him, the, these demons, the, the demons that had possessed these people, when was the last time that they actually physically saw the Lord Jesus? Um, and would it have been in glory? Would it have been when they were in heaven? Um, but they, regardless of that, they knew who he was. And as soon as they knew and, and realized who he was, they fell down. Um, and so, but Jesus stops them. And because and, the, these, these demons start saying, you are the son of God. It's almost as if they, they couldn't help it. They couldn't help but telling and saying who he was. Um, perhaps going back to, um, what it was like when they were in glory. But he says, you are the son of God. And he sternly warns them. He rebukes them and says, be quiet. Don't say this. And why, why, would, this, why, would, this, why would he do this? Well, he is not going to take or allow a demonic spirit or an evil uh, or Satan or any of any kind to reveal who he was. Um, God's timing was perfect. Um, and he was doing the Father's will, and in doing the Father's will, he was revealing to the people in that area and to the world who he was. And these demons were coming. They knew who he was. They already knew, and they were saying who he was. And so he had to, he had to sternly warn them to be quiet and to keep it to themselves. So after this, they're, on, they're in the sea, and Jesus, in verse 13, he calls them up to a mountain, and, and he says, uh, he calls them up to the mountain, and it says in verse 13, those he himself wanted, and they came to him. And this is very interesting. It says, in, it says and this phrase has stuck out to me uh, this whole week. It says, and he went up to the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted. Now, at the, the next few verses, he's going to be choosing the, the 12 disciples. Um, in Matthew um, we, we find that before this takes place, Jesus goes up and spends all night in prayer. Um, he spends all night in prayer before he makes a decision. How important that is that for us? Um, to spend time in prayer before we make a decision. Um, in any way, um, uh, speaking to the young people in the high school class, um, a lot of these kids are, are getting to the point where they're making those big lifetime decisions, where to go to school, um, eventually who are we going to marry, what am I going to do for, for uh, work, all these decisions. These are big lifetime decisions, and they need, we need to spend time in prayer. Um, if the Son of God, man in the flesh, 
would have to spend all night in prayer before he selects the 12 disciples, how much more is it important for us to spend all night in prayer before we make a decision for him and to move forward in service for him? Um, in this phrase, he says, he calls those who he himself wanted. <clears throat> As we all know, and we'll read this list now, it says, and they came to him. Then he appointed the 12 that they might be with him and that, they might, that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sickness and to cast out demons. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Bonerges, that is, the sons of thunder, and Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanite, and, verse 19, Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him, that they, and they went into a house. This, this phrase caught my attention. He calls those who he himself wanted. Jesus hand-selected these 12 men. But as we read in verse 19, it's, it, he's hand-selected Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Um, he knew he was going to betray him, and yet he called him to himself because he wanted him. Um, in 2 Peter 3.9, uh, we read, for, and for the sake of time, we'll, we'll, we'll just quote it, but it says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Um, his, his desire is that all men be saved, um, that none should perish and, and spend eternity in hell. He wanted Judas. He chose Judas. But at the end of the day, Judas made his own decision. Um, and and it's, it's, a, it's a message to us, too. Um, there's not a man or a woman on this planet right now whom Jesus does not want to save. Um, he wants everybody to come to him and to, to, to look on him and to, to receive him as their savior. Um, he wants them. Um, but at the end of the day, just like in the life of Judas, it's a choice that we have to make. Um, and Judas made the wrong choice. Um, he, 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 chose, um, he chose death rather than life. So despite of knowing who Judas was, he chose him, he called him to himself now, in this call, he appoints the 12, and he, he calls them, he commissions them, and then he gives them power. He calls them unto himself. Um, and keep in mind that throughout the last day, day and a half or so, they had been through persecution by the Pharisees. They've gone into the synagogue. Um, they've been almost crushed by this mob that is trying to be healed. Um, and they were, they were busy. Um, and perhaps they were tired. And Jesus calls them to himself, calls them to this solitary place and this, this mountaintop experience, and he calls them. And, and it's that private alone time that they get this commission to go, and they, they get this power. Um, and it was a reminder to me this week that, that coming to, to meeting and coming to conferences and, and, and attending and, and fellowshipping the saints is, is important. Um, it's vitally important. Uh, being involved in the work is vitally important. But just as vital, is it, it's important to spend alone time with the Lord, um, to get away, um, to spend that one-on-one -on -one time on those mountaintops, um, to allow him to teach us privately, um, to, to, to spend um, personal time with the Lord. Um, and if you're, if you're only 
getting, teaching, and, and, and your time with the Lord when you're here or when you're in a, a church meeting, then you, then you have an unbalanced spiritual diet. Um, and if you're only spending time you know, alone and, and, and you're not fellowshipping the saints, it's an unbalanced spiritual diet. Um, God has designed the church for a reason. Um, it's his design. It's not ours. Um, he desires that we come together, that we fellowship, that we meet together. But then he also desires just as much that we spend alone time with him, um, that personal relationship with him. Um, so here he calls these men to himself, and he commissions them. He gives them a command in verse uh, 14. He says he appointed them that they might uh, be with him and that he might send them out to preach. Um, so he sends them out. And then at that same time, he gives them the power. He gives them power to, over, over these, uh, to, to perform these miracles, to heal the sick, um, and to cast out demons. And uh, how does this apply to us? <clears throat> this same call has been given to us. Um, when Jesus called the disciples in chapter 1, he says, follow me. Um, and, and they would leave their nets. They left the, the tax tables. They left their, you know, uh, all these practices that they had. And they followed him. And that same call has been given to us. Um, Come, follow me. Um, and as soon as we've made that decision to follow Christ, um, he gives us a commission, um, it, the same commission that he gives at the end of Matthew, um, to go, to go into all the world and to preach and to make disciples of, of, of the lost. And so this is, what, this is our call. We are to come, to follow him, uh, to go into all the world, and he has given us the power to do this. Um, in Romans 8.11, uh, again, we'll read it for the sake of time. It says, The Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the de dead dwells in you. That same power that raised, the, the, the greatest act of power that this world has ever seen, that, that Jesus would rise from the dead, that same power is in you um, and, and, and is given to you um, to go. Um, he equips us with everything we need um, to perform his will, to do his will. Uh, he gives us his word. He gives us the perfect example in his son to follow. And he gives us the Holy Spirit to empower us to do these things. Um, so we too are to go and to preach. And as we move forward in verse 20, it says, Then the multitude came together uh, again. So as, you, as, you, as we read, we, they, they come down from the mountaintop. They go into a house. And it says the multitude came. They had found him. They know where he's at. And so they went to him so that he could not so much as eat bread. They just wanted to be around him. They wanted to be healed by him. They wanted to touch him. They wanted to be healed of their infirmities, but they just wanted to be near him. And it was so overwhelming that they couldn't even finish the meal that they were eating. Um, and in verse 21, it says, but when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said, he's out of his mind. He's lost his mind. Um, and this is actually a fulfillment of prophecy. In Psalm 69 and verse 8, it reads, I have become a stranger to my brothers and an alien to my mother's children. Um, they didn't know. They didn't know who he was. Um, Mary knew. Uh, this was revealed to her. But her brothers, the, his brothers and her, his sisters and those, his people didn't know. Um, and they said, you know what, he's out of his mind, um, something's up here, and we're just going to, we need to get him home. We need to get him home. Not even they knew who he was. Um, and they went to lay hold of him. And in verse 22, it says, 
And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, He has Beelzebub, and by ruler of the demons, he casts out demons. <clears throat> so these same Pharisees that have now turned from simply just trying to trip Jesus up, trying to figure out who this guy is, they've turned and now they're, they've, um, they're attacking him. Um, they, they want to destroy him. They're plotting to kill him. And now they're sowing seeds of discord and they're telling the people, listen, th this man that, that is casting out demons, the only way he's possibly able to do this is because he's the ruler of the demons. And he's calling Jesus um, Satan. This word, Beelzebub, is a very, very derogatory word. Um, uh, there's a bunch of root words in it, um, but the, it, this was the, it has a Philistinian root, the, the word here, and it basically means the dung god, or the god of the dung. Um, and this is what they're calling him. This is what they're calling the Savior. Um, this one who's performing miracles, who's healing people, who's doing good, this is what they refer to him as. And they say, by ruler of the demons, he casts out demons. Well, Jesus points out the, the, uh, the, the inerrancy or the, 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 he points out where they're wrong um, and where they've erred in their logic. And he said, so he called them to himself and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? Um, if a kingdom is divided against himself, that kingdom can't stand. Um, by saying that by, rule, by him being ruler of the demons, that's how he's casting out demons. Um, on a side note, they're, they're, they're recognizing his power and his authority. Um, he has the ability to cast out demons, something that they did not have the ability to do. But in doing so, they, they, they mock him and they, they run his name through the mud. And as we'll see in this next in the next few verses, they've even committed a, a, an unpardonable sin. It says, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against himself, the house cannot stand. And if Satan, if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but has an end. Um, so he's saying, is, is there, is there um, turmoil in the demonic world? Um, has Satan, is, is, is somebody run, uh, come in to, to take over Satan's dominion? And he says, no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, then he will plunder his house. And we know that Satan is not bound. Um, he has not been bound yet. Um, what, these, what these men were doing was they were looking at these miracles and they were rejecting them. And they were rejecting the one who committed these miracles, um, and they were rejecting the Savior. There's application in this verse um, that, that, I, that was jumping out to me, um, and we, we, we take this verse out of context a lot. Um, if a house is divided against himself, it cannot stand. Um, and, and it reminded me of the need for unity. Um, again, Jesus is teaching against these men. He's teaching against what they have, uh, have said, that he, by, by ruler of the demons, he's casting out demons. But he says that if a house is divided against itself, it cannot stand. And there's a principle in that. And there's a, a, a teaching in that throughout Scripture about a, a divided house. Um, and so what's the application for us? If, if a house, if a family is divided, 
It cannot stand. If a church is divided, it cannot stand. Um, and how important it is for us to dwell together in unity. Um, in Amos, we read, uh, it says, can two walk together unless they be agreed? Um, and we can't. Um, we cannot function properly as an assembly, as in a church, as a body, unless we be agreed, uh, unless, there, unless there's unity. Um, and where does that unity lie? Um, that unity lies in the Savior. That unity lies in, in, in this book. Um, and in, in Psalms 133, um, what's interesting, this was read during the inauguration, um, which I thought was very interesting. It says, Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Um, this brings joy to the, to the Father. Um, when we walk together in love, in unity, in peace, um, this is when the Lord is, is lifted up. Um, but when we fight and when we bite and when, when we devour one another, um, we're divided and, and the house cannot stand. Um, here they're speaking against the Savior. Um, and in verse 28 we read, he says, Assuredly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the Son of Man, every sin, and whatever blasphemies that, uh, that they may utter. But he who blasphemy, blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation because they said he has an unclean spirit. This is a this is a, a a controversial verse. A lot of people have questions about this verse. Um, a lot of young people have questions about this verse. They read this verse and they say, "The unpardonable sin." I thought all sins could be forgiven. Um, well, he does. He says that all sins, all the sins of man, will be forgiven. Um, but there's one sin that, that that is unforgivable. It's unpardonable. Now the question is, can this sin be committed today? Um, and, and commentators and, and theologians and everybody goes back and go back and forth on this. Um, now, if, if we look at the context of this passage, this was committed before the cross, um, before the Son of God was put on that cross. Um, and these men had looked on the miracles of Jesus. They have looked on the Son of Man, who through the power of the Holy Spirit was performing these miracles, casting out demons, and they said... And, and, and healing people and raising the dead, and they looked at him and said, it's satanic. This here is what he's saying. He says, but he who blasphemies, blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, um, speaking against the Savior um, and, and, and his, his work. Um, can this sin be committed today? Um, I'm going to lean with, with some commentators that I agree with, and it says probably not. Um, probably not. Christ is no longer here physically. Um, he, he, is, he has died. He has paid for the sins of the world, and he has risen. He is seated at the right hand of the Son of God, um, and all the sins were paid for on the cross. Um, will there be, you know, when we think of unpardonable sins, you know, you ask somebody on the street, what's an unpardonable sin? They say murder, uh, rape. Um, some think that suicide is an unpardonable sin. Um, all sin was paid for on the cross. Um, and because Jesus has died, he's risen, he's seated at the right hand, and he's not performing these miracles here and now, um, many believe, and like I believe, this can't be committed today. Um, there's only one sin that can keep you out of heaven. 
just one sin. All sins can be forgiven, but one sin will be, keep you out of heaven, and that's the sin of rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. Um, if you die in your sins without the Savior, you will spend an eternity in hell. Um, and, and I think this is what trips up a lot of people. They think about the unpardonable sin. And, and one commentator, I like what he says, is if you're worried about, have I committed the unpardonable sin? You haven't committed the unpardonable sin. Um, you haven't done it um, because you, you, you care, you're worried, you're concerned about it. Um, and, and here we have a, a glimpse into the gospel. Um, all sins, he tells these men, all sins will be forgiven. And so we, we are reminded of ourselves, what is the gospel? Well, the gospel is very short, and it's very sweet, and it's very simple. Um, we did an, uh, uh, an illustration next door where I had a whiteboard, and I asked the kids to tell me, what, do, what does a person need to know in order to be saved? Um, this guy's from a deserted island. He's never had a book or a Bible, never talked to a human being before. What does this person need to know to be saved? And, and we started writing, and we had the whole board filled by the end of the demonstration. Um, everybody, just from everything. Um, and it's almost as if you need a, a, you know, a doctorate in theology before you can uh, get saved. Um, and what we whittled it down to is very simple. Uh, Romans 3.23. And these are the things that you have to believe. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Um, all meaning you. Um, you sinned. In Ezekiel, we read that the soul that sins dies. Um, if you die in your sin, you will spend an eternity separated from the Savior. Um, but the good news is that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. And that... In Acts 16.31, we have the perfect promise, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Um, these are the things you have to know. You have to realize you're a sinner, that you need a Savior, and you have to realize that who Jesus is, he is the Son of God who came to die on a cross to take your place and my place, and you have to put your faith and trust in that, that finished work. Um, all sins will be forgiven except this unpardonable one um, of blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. Um, the last portion we're going to cover very quickly, verses 31 through uh, the rest of the chapter. It says, uh, Then his brothers and his mothers came, and standing outside they sent to him, calling him. And a multitude was stirring around him, sitting around him, and they said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. But he answered them, saying, Who is my mother or, who, or my brothers? And he looked around at, in a circle at those who, had, uh, who sat about him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my mother and my brother, uh, my mother, my brother and sister and mother. Here we have an insight into to who the Lord considers his family. Um, they're in this room, they're in this, this house, they've finished eating, there's multitudes of people coming. Um, he, 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 he does some teaching. And then they're, they're left with this small group of people that have desired to spend time with him, um, that have, have given up everything to follow him, that have left their nets, have left their careers, have left their families um, to do what? To do the will of God, uh, to follow him. Um, and these are the people that he refers to as his mother and his brothers and his sisters. These are the people that are part of the family of God. Um, see, man here in this, in this 
portion, you know, people are nudging Jesus and saying, hey, your, your mom's outside, your brothers are here. And they were concerned about this, this temporal family relationship. But what Jesus shows them and what he teaches us is that while we're concerned about temporal things, he's concerned about eternal things. Um, he's concerned with his family, those that will be a part of his, the family of God forever. Um, and, and how or who are these people? These are the people doing his will. These are the people following him and, and concerned about him. Uh, keep in mind that, that his brothers, they're, at this point, and in, in, in throughout his, his walk and his earthly ministry, at this point, they don't know who he is. Um, and they haven't turned and followed him. Um, it's not until after he, he has died and he has risen again that we see the light bulbs going on for them. But here he tells them that your mother, your brother, they're outside. And he says, no, those who do my will are part of my family. And so it's a reminder to us this morning, are we doing the will of the Father? Are we doing his will? Do we know what the will of God is in our life? How do we know the will? How can we determine or figure out what the will of God is? Well, how were they figuring it out? They were spending time with the Lord, and that's how we, we are too. Um, let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you again for another privileged opportunity to open your word and to look at your son, um, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, um, the perfect servant, the one who came uh, to heal, um, to save, to raise from the dead, and Father, to ultimately to lay his life down um, on a cross for us, uh, to pay a, a penalty and a punishment that we deserved so that we might forever be with you. And Father, we are so thankful for him this morning. And Father, as we've looked at some of these scattered thoughts, Lord, we just pray that um, you would remind us this week, perhaps for the rest of the year or for the rest of our lives, uh, to seek first the kingdom of God, um, to, put, uh, put, to put you first, um, to seek your will. And Father, that we would spend time with you both corporately and also individually. And Father, that you would show us how to live a godly life. We pray, Lord, that you'd part us with your blessing and bring us back safely this evening. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.